So now I'm very excited to introduce Mike, um, who is going to give our sermon today and continue our summer sermon series. Let's give him a round of applause. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate that. I want to start by reading the uh, passage of scripture for this morning, and this comes from Acts chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, This is what you heard me teach, that just as John ritually cleansed people with water through baptism, so you will be washed with the Holy Spirit very soon. When they had gathered just outside Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives, they asked Jesus, Is now the time, Lord, the time when you will reestablish your kingdom in our land of Israel? Jesus said, the Father on his own authority has determined the ages and epochs of history, but you have not been given this knowledge. Here's the knowledge you will need. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses first here in Jerusalem, then beyond to Judea, Samaria, and finally to the farthest places on earth. And he finished this commission, as he finished this commission, he began to rise from the ground before their eyes until the clouds obscured him from their vision. As they strained to get one last glimpse of him going into heaven, the Lord's emissaries realized two men in white robes were standing among them. You Galileans, why are you standing here staring up into the sky? Let us pray. Lord, may we hear this morning what the Spirit is speaking to us. This is our prayer in your son's name. Amen. So I want to begin this, this talk with a little bit of a vulnerable story from my childhood. Okay, so bear with me. So when I was a young boy, from my earliest memory, um, my mom would often tell stories of how anytime we would go out as a family, I would walk really slow as a child. Uh, so the story goes that I would often like look up into the sky, just kind of staring at things. And so that means I would be bumping in the light poles and bushes and trees and people. Uh, so out of that story, uh, pretty early on, my parents gave me the nickname Turtle. Okay, And now you are in the circle of trust, so please be very delicate with that information. Um, only some iterations of that nickname still exist to this day. but. That is the legend of me being a very slow walker on the sidewalks. Um, after moving here in 2019, as you can imagine, being on the streets of New York, I had to quickly adjust. And I was not uh, or have not been such a slow walker these days, and I don't bump into things as much. So you can uh, celebrate that with me. But in my mind, it's, it's pretty easily explained. I've always been fascinated by the vastness of the sky, the colors that it forms, the shapes of the clouds. I'm particularly fond about staring at the night sky. I don't know about you. If you grew up in New York, that may not be something that's very doable for you. But from my days of living in Texas with those wide open fields and you could see the sky for miles and miles, I love to just watch a storm coming or the clouds as they form shapes in the distance. And I often think about the cosmos. I think about the constellations and I try to find them in the sky. I, I think about our galaxy and our planet 
and all the wonders that science has continued to make known to us. And honestly, I'm still filled with awe at the mind-blowing realization that we exist on a spinning globe, a mere speck of dust in this cosmos. I find that it's good to wonder, to look up every now and then, to think about these bigger things, and really just to take in the beauty that is all around us. We read just a moment ago from Acts chapter 1. It's that moment when Jesus was leaving earth. It says the disciples strained to get a glimpse of the Messiah as he was going, but the clouds obscured him from their vision. And I find that a rather odd inclusion in what is to be the closing scene of Jesus' earthly ministry. For me, it is pretty anticlimactic, isn't it? Shouldn't the spectacle have been more magnificent and more majestic? Shouldn't it have read something like, as he finished this commission, he began to rise from the ground and light filled the sky and choirs of angels sang a song and Jesus tore through the floor of heaven, giving us all a glimpse of the glory therein. Wouldn't that have been a more fitting departure for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It would probably in that way mirror the pomp and circumstance of his birth. Yet the text doesn't say that. And to make the point further, it says that two men in white robes, and by the way, white robes were a signifier that this was being spoken on behalf of the divine. These two asked, you Galileans, why are you standing here staring up into the sky? Could there not have been a more obvious question? What do you mean, why are we staring? Have you not seen what just took place in front of us? But really what was being asked was, why are you getting so fixated on this scene as if something has ended? This little detail of Jesus being hidden by the clouds, it was really the gospel writer's way of diminishing the finality of the mission. I like to think of it in this terms, if it was music, it would be a half cadence, a suspension of sorts, an ending to a section of music that is left unresolved, creating this longing for the final resolution that would eventually come at the end of the piece. If I could be honest with you, as I, I grew up from a young child and even into a teenager, all I really wanted to do was sky gaze. And I'm talking in spiritual terms now. In my family's weekly evangelical worship life, it was ingrained in us that heaven was our true and only home and earth was merely an inconvenient side trip on the way to getting there. And I would often go there in my mind, heaven, at times, it was a way for me to not have to confront the stresses of this life in this increasingly challenging world. The, evangel uh, the evangelist, uh, Reverend Billy Graham, once said, the Bible says that as long as we are here on earth, we are strangers in a foreign land. There are enemies to be conquered before we return home. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And this wasn't just the rhetoric we heard from our religious role models and Sunday school teachers. We also heard it in our songs. Jim Reeves' famous song made popular the phrase, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And the gospel group, the hoppers, sang the song, Stepping on the Clouds. I'm going to leave this world behind me, going where the devil cannot find me, going higher, higher, and higher 
stepping on the clouds. And you can hardly make it through a charismatic Pentecostal service without singing the hymn, I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. And these are just a few samples from the soundtrack of my childhood and maybe yours as well. There's actually a term for this sort of mindset. It's called escapism theology. I learned this a little bit later in life. This is the notion that humanity just needs to get away from all of this mess and go to its true home, which is heaven. And if it isn't an escape of the body, it is an escape of the mind, a mental disconnect, a holy distraction, a spiritual misdirection. I want you to hear me clear this morning when I say a vision of heaven and a sense of the eternity are healthy, worthy images to hold in our heart and mind, but often it is an incomplete version of the gospel story. This is to say that if your theology, your spiritual understanding, is in leading you to fully invest in this world, it will hardly prepare you for a future world with God. I want to say that again. I think it's important. If your theology, your understanding of spirituality, is in leading you to fully invest in this world, it is hardly preparing you for a future world with God. Oh, I love that. Sound like we had like a chapel of bells here. Beautiful. Whatever that is, keep it going. So much of the widespread neglect and destructive indifference that I see in the current state of our planet, it can really trace its source back to this escapism mentality, at least among Christians. We aren't being called to escape earth, we're being called to embrace it. The psalmist writes, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it, for he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. And in Psalm 19, the heavens announce God's glory. The skies testify of his hands great work. Each day pours forth more of their saying. Each night more to hear and more to learn. And audible words are their manner of speech and silence their means to convey. Yet from here to the ends of the earth, their voices have gone out. The whole world can hear what they say. See, for the psalmist, creation is so intertwined with its maker that to look at one is to understand the other. In the New Testament, when Jesus was teaching his followers how they should pray in the Gospel of Matthew, he said these words, which you are pretty familiar with. He said, pray then in this way, our God in heaven, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to leave this world behind. He was working to make it look more like heaven here and now. So much so that he gave us this blueprint to follow when he taught us how to pray. We are a couple of decades into the 21st century and we are becoming increasingly conscious of the fragility of our world. Just this summer, we've seen rapid ice melting in Greenland and elsewhere to staggering and historic numbers. 
There have been record highs in Seattle and a truly hellish situation in the UK if you've been following the news. Global warming is a certainty that is threatening everyday life on this planet. And these are just but a few signs that creation is crying out and groaning because of the carelessness of humanity. So we have to feel this sense of urgency, not solely because scientists warn us of where this is all headed, although I think we should be listening to them, but because intrinsically as a Christian in this world, we have been charged to care for it from the opening pages of our sacred text. In Genesis 1, it speaks of our position as those who have been given dominion over the earth. The Hebrew word here, radah, is something more like steward, to steward creation. Its meaning, if you follow the Hebrew, is closer to to serve and protect it rather than to dominate it and subdue it, like often we feel. One of my favorite lines of poetry has been written by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I think I've shared this before, but it's good enough. I want to share it again. It says, earth crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. I love that. Earth is crammed with heaven, but only he who sees, only she who sees, only they who see will recognize it as holy ground, the very dwelling place of God, and they will act accordingly. I'm afraid in our westernized religious context, we have understood the presence of the divine being kept solely in our houses of worship, in our cathedrals, in our churches, in our chapels. And we might have failed to recognize the sacred in the natural world. And perhaps we've missed God and that way altogether. A couple weeks ago, I preached on learning how to see by overcoming our implicit bias. And part of that ongoing task of renewing our mind, I also feel is to question the stories that we are telling ourselves, or those at least that are being fed to us. See, we act out of the narratives we believe are most true. So if your mindset is, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, well, you probably won't invest very much in its welfare. You won't do what it takes to make earth look more like heaven. If you understand your position in life to be as a stranger in a foreign land, you might engage your surroundings differently. It's a nice sentiment, feeling like a pilgrim without a home but it isn't the full scope of the gospel story. It would be my guess this morning that not many of us here come with a conservative evangelical worldview. I myself kind of grew out of that over the years and I'm, I'm very grateful. So this may not be as much about sky gazing for you, but maybe it's more of the need to repent of greed and to learn how to be a better steward of the gifts you've been given. Maybe for some, it's investing more in your relationships. That's what Jesus did. He poured himself into earth's greatest asset, its people. That's also part of what it means to rada, to heal, to steward the earth. And we can sometimes be neglectful in that area. For some, you might be working through a distrust of science, finding yourself often swayed by conspiracy theories. 
but you're learning how to think for yourself and do the extra work of finding out the truth, acting on that truth. For some of you, you may just be overwhelmed by it all. I know I get there sometimes. And it's simply about just doing the next right thing. Whatever it is, we have some form, I believe, of sky gazing in this life, that which keeps you and keeps me from being checked out and living into our identity as caretakers. We have to fight against that mentality sometimes. So I want to suggest four ways that we can renew our minds and really recalibrate our lives to live out of God's narrative. And the first one is to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 says, adopt the mindset of Jesus. Live with his attitude in your hearts. Remember that he was in the form, though he was in the form of God, he chose not to cling to equality with God, but he poured himself out to fill a vessel brand new, a servant in form and a man indeed, the very likeness of humanity. He humbled himself, obedient to death, a merciless death on the cross. That's Philippians 2. This was actually one of the earliest hymns in the first century Christian church, and it spells out a reality that we cannot miss. It's really the heartbeat of the gospel story. Jesus, the very manifestation of God, came to earth. It says he chose not to cling to equality with God. In a sense, Christ gave up heaven to be here among us. He invested everything he had in humanity, and the whole of his ministry was to bring heaven here and now. I think we too should have the mind of Christ. Number two, meditate on new narratives. If it's true that we act out of the stories that we tell ourselves, then we should find new narratives that will inspire new ways of seeing this world. See, a spiritual diet that solely consists on conspiracy theories, distrust of science, and even escapism theology, that will only breed checked out people always too fixed with their heads in the clouds to be invested in what's in front of them. So find and meditate on new narratives. This might suggest a whole new spiritual environment for you, new worship practices, or maybe a new circle of friends who are also invested in doing the good work. Number three, embrace science as a shared collaboration. Because we have this interest together, church and science, to better understand our world and the ways we need to care for it and to heal it. And yet so many Christians vilify science instead of partnering with it in this shared interest. So embrace science and its discoveries and celebrate it as God's handiwork being unveiled. Listen to these brothers and sisters who spend their lives helping us see ways to care for the earth in a more responsible way. As, our, as I see it, our mission is really the same and we should embrace this as a Christian. Lastly, number four, partner with Christ to bring heaven on earth. Jesus lived out of this imperative that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that should inspire us to make it ours too. And we do this when we foster heavenly values, 
like creating community without uh, conditions. When we pursue unquestionable worth of every human being and we are moved to action by the unconditional love of God, to the extent that these values drive our life, we will know heaven on earth, not just in the age to come. I believe the greatest way we could show our love to the creator is to love that which God loves. So may we join Christ in making earth look more like heaven. As I invite the worship team to come back up, I want to think back to this passage in Acts chapter 1. Worship team, that's you. This account of Jesus' ascension is part of a larger section on the commissioning of the disciples to go into all the world. And what we know from this section of the Bible is that just a few verses later, the Christian church on earth will be inaugurated on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the very next chapter. So with that context in mind, we can better understand the question as Jesus is leaving this earth, why are you standing staring up into the sky? Thankfully, the disciples didn't do that for very long. We're told that they went back to Jerusalem and they got to work. May we do the same. Let's pray together. God of creation, help us to remember that Christ has no body on earth but ours. No hands but ours. No feet but ours. Ours are the eyes to see the needs of the world. Ours are the hands with which to bless everyone now. Ours are the feet with which Jesus is to go about doing the good in this world. Christ has no body now on earth but ours. Lord Christ, if we are to fix our gaze anywhere, may it be on the work to be done that is right in front of us. For we know by doing so, we join with you in bringing your kingdom here as it is in heaven. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.